my Sunday morning routine is, uh, and I'll be a bit transparent this morning, is to pray through the sermon. I wake up early, I grab a cup of coffee, and uh, I finish the sermon typically uh, by Monday, either uh, week, uh, of last week or two weeks ago, and then I come back to the sermon on a Sunday, and the point of it of the morning of is to make sure that what's been in my mind is really in my heart and comes out of a heart that is overflowing um, with whatever the truth is that is packed into that scripture. So this morning, not much sleep, of course, but this morning I get up and and I go downstairs to do that, and I can't. I just can't. My mind, I know you know how this is when your mind is worried and, and heavy, and it's everywhere. It's just everywhere. And I'm trying to tune in, and I just can't tune in. And so I would say to you this morning, one of the things I want to you, you to draw from today is truths from a very powerful psalm, but also a process so I said, what do I do? And I went to my daily process, and here's my daily. This is what I do. So what I do every day is uh, I will, except Sunday, is I get up and grab a cup of coffee, and based on a little book that I read last, week called, last year called Praying the Bible, I pray the Psalms. It, it isn't a complicated process at all. I tend to work in a block of Psalms uh, for a month, and so this month, uh, I work in the last block, the last 30 Psalms, Psalm 120 to 150. And so this morning, when I could not get my mind in any good place, I said, okay, Lord, I'll back off the sermon. I'll go to my Psalm of the day. Today is the 19th. So you just add 19 to 120, and that comes to 139. There's, there's nothing magical about it at all. So I find myself this morning in Psalm 139. I begin to pray Psalm 139. I begin to pray these words, and as I do, I cannot describe to you the joy of the Word of God in the moment of deep despair. I cannot explain to you how it is a passage that I've read many times, a passage that I've memorized certain sections of. It is is like something I've never seen before, but it was. It's like a dessert I've never eaten, though I've eaten it many, many times, or a meal that I've never taken a bite of, though I've, though I've just enjoyed it many times. I would just offer to you this morning, such is the Word of God. It is living. It is active. It is the Word of God indeed. And so it was as I spent that time this morning in the Word and the word began to just melt into me. The Lord said, this is the word for the people today. I jotted down just a few notes, and I want to share with you as we just work through this what I believe God is saying through his word. Stanza one, look at it. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. I read that this morning, and when I did, all of a sudden it was a light bulb moment, something I've never noticed before. One of the things that the Reformation taught us was to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. 
And I'll see some words here, and I immediately turn to Deuteronomy 6. Why? Because in Deuteronomy 6, Israel is out of Egypt. Moses is giving three speeches in Deuteronomy. It is speech one, and in speech one, Moses says there's one big commandment. Love God with everything you got. And there's this one saying that needs to be just in your mind and in your heart and lived out. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. As a matter of fact, this saying became so important that it is known as the S-H-E-M-A, the Shema, and every Every Hebrew child memorized it as soon as that child had the cognitive capacity to memorize. Why? Because Moses was saying, you're about to go into a nation that has all kinds of gods. It's full of peoples who worship all kinds of gods. You, on the other hand, will worship the one true God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he said, moms, dads, here's what you do. If you want to get this into your kids, talk about it when you lie down, when you get up, when you you, uh, sit down, and when you go along your way. And then I look here, and I look at four phrases that show up. Sit down, verse 2, rise up in verse 2, verse 3, my path and my lying down. I go back and forth between Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 139, and I discover they're the same words. They're the same phrases. So what does it mean in Deuteronomy 6? Because that's going to give us an idea of what it means in Psalm 139. Makes sense? I look at that, I'm thinking, what does it mean there? What does it mean here? In in Deuteronomy 6, it means, talk about that all the time. In Psalm 139, here's principle number one. God is with you when? All the time. All the time. You, You search my path, my lying down, my sitting down, my rising up. God is with me all the time. You see, there are two great dimensions. There are three that we think of, but there are two great dimensions, the dimension of time and the dimension of space. And the question of any deity is, is that deity able to be in both of those? Is that God able to be in the dimension of time in a way that is timeless? If he is not, he ceases to lose an attribute of God that makes God, God. And here we discover that indeed God is is in the dimension of time in a way that can never be diminished. He's there all the time. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind before you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. This is incomprehensible that God is with me all the time. All the time. That's not all. Verse 7, where shall I go? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Heaven, you're there. Sheol, you're there. Wings of the morning, you're there. Uttermost parts of the sea, you're there. 
Even there, your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. I, I think when I think of the right hand, I think it's in Isaiah 40, where Isaiah talks about how God holds us with his righteous right hand. And then later in that Isaiah 40 passage, we discover that God holds us by our right hand. And if you just do the, the metaphorical image that results from that, it requires a God who is face to face with us, right hand to our right hand, eye to eye, face to face. God does not lead you way over there when you're back here. He leads you this way as you are coming toward him. And here we see this right hand if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, the light about me be night, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Number one, God is with me all the time. Second stanza, God is with me everywhere. Did you see that? There's space. There's no space he isn't. He is with me everywhere. Last night when my phone rang, I'm sitting at home, and my phone rang, and it's Josh Allison. And Josh says, just first words, Jerry, pray now. Judah's dad, pray now. I said, Josh, what's going on? My little boy hung himself. I said, Josh, where are you? I'm in my car. Where is he? He's in the ambulance. Josh, is he alive? He said, he is, but he isn't conscious. Pray. All of a sudden, I feel the sense of a pastor of deep, deep weight, of a remarkable burden, of a heart that is breaking, but then I'm breaking for Josh because he's not with his boy. He's following his boy who is in an ambulance and, and all, of this, all of this reality of I wanted to be a certain place, Josh wanted to be a certain place. I'll throw out just a big word this morning. I've been prepping to teach Old Testament. Perhaps some of you will be my class. It's a little advanced lesson. Big word, ubiquitous. The omnipresence of God is ubiquitous. You say, Jerry, what do you mean? Do you know how you and I have a tendency to think? Because this is how we are. We have a tendency to think that if God is, uh, is here in, in a deep, manifested way, then his presence is diminished over there. He, he can be stretched thin, right? That's just our natural way to think, that God can be stretched thin, that perhaps he can't be dealing here in, in, in all of him and be dealing there in all of him. But yet, in the omnipresence of God is the reality of the ubiquity of God, that God, by being fully present here in this place this morning, is not diminished at all in another place. He, he doesn't stretch himself thin. He doesn't put part here and part there. He is holy one and therefore ubiquitous in his presence, able to be all places at all times with all power and all influence. Wow. Often I've sat with people in the waiting room is their family members are in a very precarious surgery in the OR. And I, in my prayer, will say to the Lord and remind all of us that he is indeed as present in the OR as he is in the waiting room. The ubiquity of the omnipresence of God, we sometimes lose sight of that. In our own feeling of being stretched thin, he never has felt that. Never. 
If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Why? Because God is light. He dwells in unapproachable light, Scripture says. Do you know what, every time, what happens every single time that there's light? There isn't darkness. You say, how do you know? I grew up with a stoic mother. I mean, she really was. How stoic was my mom? I remember there were three of us stair-step kids, 18 months apart. Then the golden child came about 10 years later. But there were three of us. And it was time for shots, right? We were little, preschool age. Mom would give us a speech. She would look at us and say, today you're going to get shots. It's going to hurt. There's no need to cry. You know it's going to hurt. Crying won't help. I'm not lying to you. We would get there, no lie, and the nurses would come out and line up and watch. Why? They'd sit us down, shoot us, and we didn't flinch. Bang, bang, bang. We sat there, never shed a tear. Why? Mom said it was worthless. No lie. Do you know how she woke us up every morning? All right, for those of you kids who get two or three invites to uh, the breakfast table or to get out of bed or who get to sleep in, we got up every day of our lives at 6.30, Sunday to Sunday, every day, 6.30. Mom would walk in. I've never heard her raise her voice ever in my life, ever. She would walk in, and she would do one thing with the light switch. She would say, good morning. It's time to get up. Just like that. And do you know what we did? No lie. We got up. We made our bed because you didn't leave the room unless you did that. We made our bed. And we came and ate oatmeal out of a Cool Whip bowl. Every day. Every day. Seven days a week. Oatmeal. No cinnamon. No raisins. Hot water and oatmeal. <laughs> hate it to this day <laughs> I'm not lying to you the thought of it makes me gag because until I went to college I ate oatmeal seven days a week out of a Quaker box seven days a week why is it that we got up because the flick of a switch dispelled the darkness Where he is, there is no dark place. There isn't. It cannot coexist with him. If he's there, it's light. If he is, it's light. It's, it's clear. It's, it, he, is, he is present there. And so God is with me all the time. God is with me everywhere. And look at verse 13. Tiny little word turns everything in this psalm. For. Means because. For you formed my inward parts, knitted me together in my mother's womb, fearfully, wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Frame wasn't hidden from you. I saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when yet as 
there, were, there was none of them. There's one word that occurs three times in that stanza, two in the positive, one in the negative. It's the word formed. If you go look that word formed up, it means to create and therefore to own. To create and therefore to own. God is with me all the time. God is with me everywhere because he created and therefore owns me. Because he created and therefore owns me. God is with me all the time. God is with me everywhere because he created and therefore owns me. Listen to me. This doesn't ma- it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. He created you and you are his. He owns you. You say, well, what does that mean? The earth is the Lord, the psalm, psalm says, and, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas. He established it upon the waters. All of this is his. Your bank account is his. The land you own is his. The house you own is his. The children who are yours are his. He has simply loaned them to you for a period of time. For some of you, he's given more. For some, he's given less. It's just what he does. It's his. All of it. It's his. Now, in this service, we have... Loads of folks who have yet to be parents. And if you haven't, I would say to you, you're at a disadvantage in understanding this. But when you become a parent, verse 17 and 18 happen. Look at it. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. You, in no way as a mom or a dad, could count the number of times you've thought about your kids. Can you? Can't. It could be in the middle of the day and all of a sudden they'll come into your mind for some unknown reason or if they're going through something difficult, oh gosh, you just can't help for your mind to do what? Just repeatedly go to them, repeatedly go to them, repeatedly go to them. You know how it is. You students who are away at college or moms or dads, wherever they are, you know what they're doing right now? They're thinking about you. They are. They're just thinking about you. They're, they're, they're thinking about you. Are you okay? You know, uh, have you found some snake-handling awful church to go to this morning? You know, they're just things are going through their head like, what are they doing? How are they? You know, who are their friends? Who are their media? It's what we do as parents. It's just we, we can't help ourselves. I, I, there's no way I could catalog. Both my kids are in the service. There's no way I could catalog to you the number of times I've prayed for them, the number of thoughts I've had about them. I, I just can't. There's no way. So all of you have yet to have kids. I would just say to you, you just can't know that until you do. And when you do, it's like it. something just crawls up in you. Well, so it is with God. When he adopts you through, through, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, you, you receive him. He can't help but think about you all day, all night. What does it say? When I awake, I am still with you. So when you put your head on your pillow at night, do you remember when your kids were really little and they finally learned how to sleep? What a relief. 
you thought, I can get a full night's sleep. Well, by the time they learned how, you forgot. Right? You're sleeping. It's so messed up at that point. They're finally sleeping, and you're lying awake like, what do I do? What do I do? Have you ever just slipped into their bedroom and watched them sleep? You've done that, haven't you? It's one of the tenderest things parents do. And you just look at them, and you realize in that moment, they trust you. According to this, last night, as you slept, God watched. This is why it takes the faith of a little child to get this. Why? We're just so accomplished, aren't we? We've we figured out so much, haven't we? That we've lost sight. There's a father who just, while wow, you slept last night, said, there's my girl. College student, strange bed, maybe stranger roommate. God said, that, that's my boy. She, she's my girl. Wow. Wow. It's unreal, isn't it? God is with us all the time. God is with me everywhere because he created and therefore owns me. Aren't you glad to be his? Aren't you glad? And then, oh, verses 19 through 22 seem like a bad insert. Look at this. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Okay, so this would be another big word. Imprecatory psalms are those psalms that seem, not seem to, they call God's wrath down on enemies. We struggle with them sometimes. Like, how do we, how do we deal with this? I just want to say something about historical context, and then let's talk application. Historical context, David is king. He better hate the enemies of his nation. All right, so many of the imprecatory psalms are written by a king who is calling God's wrath down on those who are coming in against his nation. That's a good king. All right, it's a good king. Uh, It's always been a good leader to do that, and so that's a good king. But let's apply this. So... So we all have three enemies. Three enemies. Who are they? Enemy number one is Satan. Enemy number two is the world. Enemy number three is our sinful nature. When I'm praying through the Psalms, as I do every single day of my life, except Sunday mornings, I'm typically praying through the sermon. When I'm praying through the Psalms, and I get to these imprecatory Psalms, immediately, application-wise, I go to those three enemies. And I pray whatever is here toward those enemies. Is it okay to hate Satan? Yeah. Is it okay to hate the world and its ways? Yes. As a matter of fact, Scripture says don't love it. Is it okay to hate my old sinful nature? Yes. I ought to. 
right? I ought to. So, so I take this implied. So, so let's just go all the way back. God is with me all the time. God is with me everywhere because he created and therefore owns me. And number four, so God, take care of the enemies without. That's verses 19 through 22. The enemies without. God, fend Satan. Do you know what I'm struggling with this morning? Just faithless thoughts, right? Faithless thoughts. I know that you probably expect more from me as your pastor. I'm just saying, this morning, with everything rolling, I'm going, oh, God, well, where's Dylan? And, oh, God, how's Judah? And, oh, and it's just like faithless thoughts. It's worry. It's fear. It's, it's all of this that's rolling in, and it rolls like a wave. And I feel like, okay, I take that wave, and I get up again only for another to hit. Has anyone ever been there? Faithless thoughts, they're thoughts that come in and your mind just gets boggled by them all. And so all of a sudden I begin to pray, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord. Lord, I hate those. Lord, slay Satan out of this thinking that I'm having right now. It's a good prayer, isn't it? Lord, the world and its ways and all, just pray that. But look at 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous way in me and lead me. Look at those possessive pronouns there. Look at that. Direct object. Look at them. Search me, my, me, my. God is with me all the time. God is with me everywhere because he created and therefore owns me. So God take care of the enemies without. And number five, and the enemy within. There it is. The enemy within. David's saying it's not enough, God, if you defeat all these enemies around. And that was David's job as king. He was a warrior king who prepared Israel for Solomon and uh, uh, under Solomon's reign, Israel before then did not know that kind of peace and since then hasn't. Solomon reigned in a time of remarkable prosperity and peace thanks to David and his victories. But what is David saying? God, search me. Why? There's an enemy within, isn't there? And what does that enemy within seek to do? Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are opposed to one another so that you cannot do what you want to do. Paul, in Romans uh, 7, toward the end, 20-something, says that, that great line, Who will set me free from the body of this death? Vivid image there, body of this death. Studied that years ago, stuck in my mind. That image is a war image. Uh, Romans were awful. They were cruel. And what they would do to, uh, to punish uh, POWs is they would take that uh, very alive prisoner of war and they would attach to him a body, knee to knee, nose to nose, toes to toes that was dead. 
and that very alive POW would have to walk around knees to knees, toes to toes. One of the ancient poets has written about this, would have to walk around with that decaying body right there. And it was intended to both mentally and physically as the infestation of a dying body kill that POW. It's the very phrase Paul uses in Romans 7 when he says, who will set me free from the body of this death? Like I've come to Christ, but I see staring me in the face the decaying body of my old self. Anybody identify? And you know, he doesn't say what will set me free, but what? Who? The question matters more than the answer because the question begs for a person. Who will set me free from the body of this death? He answers his own question. I thank my God through whom? Jesus Christ my Lord. So he cuts the power of the, the, the bonds of sin and death, right? That's what he does. And so uh, the enemy within that is tied to us, that is our old sinful nature, Jesus Christ died for on the cross, resurrected from the dead, that we too might walk, of uh, Romans 6, 4, in newness of life, in a brand new life. God is with me all the time. He is with me everywhere because he created and therefore owns me. So God, take care of the enemies out there and the enemy in here. That's what God gave me this morning to give to you. And to say to you, if you do not have a process of being in his word when life is good, you will misstep when it isn't. I learned that again today. And I'm grateful. We're going to pray and sing. If you're in here burdened, the altar is open. If you're scared, if you're grief-stricken, oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. Verse 1, verse 23. Keep doing it. Search me and know me. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, my grievous thoughts. See if there's any wicked or grievous way in me and then direct me in the way that has eternity written all over it that is everlasting. God, for these freshmen sitting in this room, as they look down the corridor of what could be the best years of their life, you orchestrated this sermon for them 
for the marriage that's failing, for the grief that shows up at inopportune times, for parents who are carrying a burden for their boy or their girl. Remind us of your deep love for us as we sing about it. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be here, staff up front. We love praying with folks. Would you stand and let's sing. And please come if you need us. We're here. We're here.
Oh, Father God, your word says if you would not spare your own son, but freely give him for us all, will you not also freely with him give us all things? If you'll give us the greatest gift and meet the greatest need, our lesser needs do not catch you by surprise or diminish your supply. I pray for people in this room whose greatest need is yet unmet in that they have not received you as Savior, that they would see a hanging, bleeding Christ and realize it was their sins that nailed him there. And there would be deep sorrow coupled with great relief. Oh, Father, I pray also for people in this room who have known you for a short or a long time. Our tendency is to lose the, the fresh memory of the day or night when you brought us out of darkness into light and lose sight that if you would indeed meet our greatest need, the lesser ones you will not ignore. And so may those who have neglected to ask do so. May those who have forgot to request do so. And may we rejoice as you supply all of our needs according to your glorious riches in Christ. Thank you. Thank you that, that little Judah ate breakfast that Dylan has been found. Thank you for songs you chose and for a word you gave and for people you love. We've never known love like this. One day we will see you face to face. Christ, I, I think personally that your wrists still bear the scars as do your feet. Can't imagine looking at you. Talking to you. Thanking you. Spending face to face. Now we see through a glass that's dim, but then face to face. I so enjoy 
The morning's now. Can't imagine the eternal morning where there is no sun for you will give the city light. And we'll talk. And eat. And never part. What a day that will be. Thanks for putting eternity in our hearts. In your name, Jesus, we pray. And we, all your people, say,